about your psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. Hi everyone, this is Neil Pruitt from Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. You may have heard this voice before, the New World Order. I was the producer and the voice for the New World Order. You're listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. This podcast has not been sanctioned by the New World Order. Hey everyone, this is Guy Evans, author of Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW, and you are listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report, my man, how you doing? Doing great, Randy, how about yourself? I'm doing good, man, can't complain, Um, happy holidays to you and the family, first and foremost, got a very uh, special show today here on The Basement, got my man Chris Mueller from Bleacher Report, Chris, my man, how you doing? I'm doing good. I feel like we got a, a, a Bleacher Report tag team going on. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is that Chris and I have been talking Marvel and Star Wars for so long that we just do our own separate shows. We just actually got done reviewing Mandalorian with your girl Sasha Banks and Randy, which was great. That's and, right. That's uh, we've been right. breaking down the Marvel movies all year, so it's going to be weird to be talking about wrestling for a change. So, Chris, I don't know right. if, if Graham has told you, but I'm a big <clears throat> Sasha Banks fan. I uh, love what she does. You know, I've been doing uh, great work for, for for quite some time and seeing her progress in 2020 in the ring, outside the ring. I'm a big fan of her, so that's why Grant made that comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, I think Sasha Banks is probably one of the most popular stars in WWE. I know she, there are some haters out there, but... Of course. Mandalorian has definitely brought in some more people. Mm-hmm. 100%. I, I know before the before the year is up, I got to catch up on season two. I think I've missed the last two. So I'm um, surprised Grant didn't put out no 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 spoilers on, on social media, which is great. <laughs> so I know I'm going to catch up. Uh, before I forget, Graham, you're on Twitter at WrestleRant. Chris, you're on Twitter at BR underscore doctor. So Chris, every time we have a brand new guest on the show, we like to ask them, what made you become a big fan uh, of professional wrestling? Was it a match? Was it a certain superstar? Was it a live event that you went to? Like, what what kind of got you in love with the sport of professional wrestling? Uh, I mean, I was so young when I first got into it that it's hard to pinpoint an exact thing. But I can tell you that the first people that I really liked all had 
face paint and crazy looks. It was like Sting, the Legion of Doom, the Ultimate Warrior. All those guys sort of drew me in. And then as the 90s rolled on, I started to get into the work rate guys like Mr. Perfect, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and really started to open my eyes there. And I think I probably became like a bigger fan because of those guys in the nineties, the Bretts, the Sean's, you know, the guys who could work for 30 minutes and not slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just to give you my background, like I always tell people for me, it was watching Warrior and Hogan at a WrestleMania six, um, in, in, uh, in Toronto sky dome. And I think that was, I think that was the first show that I bought or I had my parents buy. I think the first pay-per-view that I saw that I recall seeing was um, SummerSlam 89. Um, I don't know how I came across that, but, you know, me being young back in them days and I had the, the you know, Saturday Night Main event during that time, so the, the wrestling challenge and um, I just stumbled upon this and it's been in my life for for, or for so long still. I There are times that I, I, I've had dabbled in and out where I take a little break here and there and, um, Somehow, some way, Chris, it kind of strings me along back in a storyline, or somebody comes back from an injury, whatever, or a, a certain legend. But for me to answer my own question, uh, WrestleMania six was um, the first pay per view that I, I can recall saying, "You know what? From now on, I gotta be watching this." From now on, I think Graham told me. Matter of fact, Graham, what was the first uh, like? What made you become a, a fan of wrestling again? Jesus, this is going to pale in comparison to you guys, but, um, you know, I, I started watching full-time in um, 2008. I, I got, I, I had seen some wrestling prior to that point, mm. which would have been, I mean, I knew what wrestling was, obviously. I just didn't get into it, like, I, I didn't become a fan full-on until 2008, but my first memory of wrestling, and this is so bad, like you mentioned, you know, Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan, you mentioned stuff like that. My first memory of wrestling was when Vince McMahon revealed Hornswoggle to be his illegitimate son. <laughs> that garbage storyline from Raw. Wow. And I'm like, God, this is garbage. And I didn't tune in after that. And then I just, I, I used to watch USA Network all the time. They had shows, uh, that show Psych, I was on there, Monk. I love that stuff. So mm-hmm. I started watching Raw soon after. William Regal actually got me into the product. And because uh, he was like the GM at that point of Raw and doing the King of the Rings stuff. And I've been a uh, diehard fan ever since. So thank you, William Regal, I guess. So, Chris, you know, me and you mentioned Hogan, Warrior, Mr. Perfect, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and Grant comes with Hornswoggle. <laughs> yeah, that is that is possibly the biggest juxtaposition you could go with in pro wrestling. There. <laughs> um, so you mentioned face paint. You mentioned Sting. He's a big reason why I, I do have you on to show because in, in in preparation, you know, I wanted you to come on because I, I thought you'd be good to, to talk about Starcade 97. So this idea, this topic has kind of grown in the last couple of weeks where, you know, we are still, we are coming on the anniversaries of a lot of Starcades and um, three particular main events with Starcade kind of caught my attention. Again, I did not start watching Starcade until 96 when the NWO came in. I wasn't a big WCW fan at all or at the time. So I I missed a lot of Starcades, which I, I would love to go back and check them out. And you probably helped me out, tell me which the best Starcade matches and whatever. But I got you to come on to talk about the main event in 96 
which is Roddy Piper and and, and uh, Hulk Hogan. Ninety seven Hulk Hogan again, but again uh, this time it's Sting. And then ninety eight is Goldberg and Kevin Nash, and I think they all had their own story of why. At the time, you probably did not notice it, but you know when it when it was all said and done, they all played a small part, or probably a big part, into why there was the beginning of the fall of uh, of the company in WCW. So, um, I would like to start from here. Um, when you when 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 you hear Starcade in general, um, is it was it WCW's best? show that they did every single year and what are some Starcade matches that we're not going to talk about as much today but you feel like should be mentioned and is there is there a greatest Starcade match of all time well I'll, I'll be honest I didn't watch every WCW pay-per-view back in the day mm-hmm. I would usually end up renting a lot of them on VHS from like the video store and stuff so right. uh, I'm not like a Starcade expert but I did watch the three events we're talking about. And I watched a bunch of the matches from each one because I wanted to revisit some of them. Uh, so like in 96, just the first year we were going, they had a pretty good card. I mean, Ultimo dragon versus Dean Malenko was solid. Uh, Jushin Liger and Rey Mysterio, like mm. just thinking that, those two were in the same match in WCW and it was like a singles undercard match with no title on the line. Like it's nuts that those two legends were back then just like not people in the United States didn't really know them too well. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you had Eddie Guerrero versus DDP for the U S title later in the night. That was a great match. Um, I mean, when I think of Starcade, I think sting probably stands out to me the most just cause he's, like to me sting is is the quintessential wcw guy like all those other guys flair savage hogan they bounced around from wwe to wcw a couple of times but mm-hmm. sting was wcw through and through uh i mean the next year i'd say eddie guerrero versus dean malenko is probably the only match besides the main event anybody should take the time to watch if they haven't seen 97 mm-hmm. and then in 98 you just had a bunch of random stuff going on like 98 was when you could tell that they were really struggling to come up with good ideas anymore <laughs> i mean you had perry saturn versus ernest miller on a pay-per-view <laughs> not that either both those guys are fantastic wrestlers but that match isn't gonna, as Tony Schiavone would say, put butts in the seats. <laughs> um, so Graham, when did you see Starcade '96, and I'll have you seen it at all? Not in its entirety. Um, I don't think I've ever. Seen, I've definitely not seen it in its entirety. I know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. Have I seen Hogan and Piper? Yes. Not a long time because I own the. Um, I, I bought it right after it came out. The what is it? What was it called? The Death of WCW. No, that was the book. I think it was called The Rise and Fall of WCW or whatever. That DVD that WWE put out talking about the rise and fall of WCW about a decade ago, and they included a lot of great matches, but a lot of bad matches too that contributed to the fall of WCW. <clears throat> and Hogan and Piper, I believe, was one of them. Um, I've never seen the show in its entirety, like I said, but I'm pretty sure I've seen the match. It's just been a long time. 
So in in my preparation, guys, I saw Piper Hogan this morning. I saw <laughs> I uh, well, I saw Nash and Goldberg uh, last week because me and Graham touched up a lot of, uh, of about that match that Goldberg had the the new doc uh, on the network, and um, I just finished maybe a half hour before you got on Sting uh, Sting and Hogan. So the reason why, and also to Graham's credit, Chris. I was just going to have you talk about Sting and Hogan and, and Goldberg and Nash. Graham, on the show last week, said, wasn't Piper and Hogan the year prior? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And I didn't think too much about it because, Chris, I, the, the reason why I bring up Piper Hogan is because Piper comes in at the Halloween Havoc two months prior. Um, Hogan is the world champion. You know, the whole NWO and stuff like that. And and they go in this main event, and this is the main reason why I bring it up. They go in this main event, and I think I, I told wrong info to Graham. I told him that the, ti- the the title was on the line. Piper won with a sleeper, and I never understood why Piper did not leave with the belt. So when I go back, the match, number one, was not for the belt. Piper wins with a sleeper, and that was it. So my thing was like, why wasn't the match for the title and they go into Super Brawl a few months later for the title. Hogan wins, and that story goes away. So I want to ask you, what did you make of that main event happening, first and foremost, because they build it as the match of, uh, of the century, which is probably not. And it wasn't for the title. I want to see, it, it, was that kind of odd to you, whether you saw that in real time or you know recently, that Piper beat Hogan, but it wasn't for the title? I'm not a hundred percent sure what the story behind that was, but I think part of it might've had to do with Hogan wanted to put Piper over, but Bischoff didn't want to take the belt off Hogan. Cause when you hear Hogan talk about the guys he worked with, like it, it seems like he talks about Piper in a different category and a lot of guys do. Cause like Roddy Piper was special. He was pretty unique in pro wrestling. And I know a lot of people would look at him and be like, well, he's just a loud mouth, like a lot of pro wrestlers, but there was something about him that was different. And upon rewatching this match, I actually enjoyed it. Even though it wasn't the best match in the world, I felt like they did a good job actually pacing the match. And, I felt like Piper winning was probably the right choice at the time just because it it was like the first crack in Hogan's armor. So it, it didn't bother me that much that the main event wasn't for a title. I've always been of the mind that like not every title needs to be defended at every pay-per-view, but it is weird that the main event was the, ch- the champion in a non-title match at the biggest show of the year. So, Graham, I apologize to you when I mentioned it. It was for the title, but it wasn't. And I'm here like, damn, how come Piper never won the belt? And <laughs> so I apologize for that. And then I saw the match earlier. I thought it was a pretty decent match. You know, you're not getting all this high-flying stuff from Hogan and Piper. Real, real basic uh, wrestling 101. And I think, you know, and we'll get to it. I think it was a better match than this thing in Hogan match. I, I could be, you know, that, that could be a hot take, but... Uh, you know, what you get from Hogan and Piper is what you get. 
And I saw the match, and again, every Hogan match, Graham, what kind of upset me as a kid, it was like every Hogan match was a fucking run-in. Like Hogan was never never going to lose clean, depending on who it might be. Um, it was always a run-in from Hall, uh, Hall and Nash and other, uh, other NWO guys, and then either Hogan would win or Hogan would lose, and that was just how... So, Chris, real quick, does, does that annoy you that when you go back to these NWO matches back in the day with Hogan, that it was always a weird finish because there was always a a, a, a run in. Um, it was a li- it's a little annoying, but at the time <laughs> it didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because at the time the the NWO was like it was such a new thing for us to have a group like that that having them interfere all the time did make them feel like they had more of that gang mentality. So it kind of fits, it fits in line with the characters and I mean, having Hall and Nash and the giant all interfere in this match, it didn't really help Hogan at all anyway. So like it just made Piper look even stronger in the end. Yeah. I think also which, which I forgot was that this was the beginning of like, you know, like you said, cracking the armor, the giant is now looked at someone who wasn't going to protect the the group no more at the end you see hogan and and hall and nash and giant kind of arguing and giant eventually leaves the group so as him and dibiase everybody starts to leave and you start to like now have the giant as like like a major opponent for hogan down the road i think hogan beat the giant for the title a year prior at at, at road wild or or hog wild 96 Mm -hmm. so Again, now you now you, you you do the Piper victory. Now you you're creating different stories within the crack in the armor of, of of the NWO, which I found to be the best part of of that night. So I had a question for you guys. I guess either one of you guys can answer this. Mm-hmm. At this point, Hogan had won the championship a couple of months prior in the summer of ninety uh, of ninety six, and and you know before we get to Starcade of that year, mm-hmm. they bring back Piper. The feud hadn't been done between Piper and Hogan in close to a decade. As fans at that time, as fans at that time, I mean, obviously it's a different time than today. Because if that happened today, people would be wondering, you know, why aren't they putting a fresh face in that spot for their biggest show of the year to face Hogan for that championship or whatever? And obviously, Hogan didn't really get his comeuppance until like a year or so later as the top heel in the NWO. Does Piper feel like the right fit for that spot, or do you think there was someone? I mean, you mentioned the Giant, but. Do you guys think there was someone better for that spot at that time than bringing back an old timer? I mean, obviously, I guess he came from the same era that Hogan was. Um, but do you think there was someone better for that spot than Roddy Piper at that point to face Hogan for the championship? Chris? Um, I mean, I'm sure that they could have built somebody up. But I know they were at the point they were waiting for Sting. Mm-hmm. And Piper was kind of a big get for WCW at the time. So I think it was probably one of those things like this. It, it, it was a marquee match. Like they were basically just using it because they knew it would get the attention, not necessarily because it was the best option. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. I mean, especially too with the Sting thing that started, I think, when did this thing Crow character kind of start? Was that pre-Starcade? He wasn't on Starcade 96, was he? Uh, no, I don't believe Sting was at Starcade 96. No. That might have been during the hiatus. 
Okay. Yeah, because now that makes sense. Because so, 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 well, go ahead, Randy. I was well, I was just well, actually, one one last thing before I let you go. I was just curious go before ahead. I forget. Was this kind of like maybe not exactly, but was this uh, this Starcade kind of their version of like WrestleMania twenty seven, where we got Cena and Miz, and we knew the entire time <laughs> they were building the Rock and Cena, and they set the stage for that going into WrestleMania twenty eight year follow the year you know that you're following that. Um, was this kind of what like that was where it was just like you said, Chris, kind of like a filler match and it was an attractive, you know, it was an attraction, but do you think they were just biding time until the sting match, which they probably knew at that point was going to take place at star K 97. I mean, possibly, I'm not sure how far ahead anything in WCW was planned back then, but, mm-hmm. uh, cause like the dub, the, the sting stuff with him being up in the rafters and, them like really doing the slow burn with that. I'm not sure how long they initially planned that. It seems like at some point they might've just been running down the clock with that. Cause after a while it's like, all right, you got to have them do something guys. It's like, <laughs> yeah, this is one of the defining stars of the company. He can't just be sitting around all the time. But again, like, it's hard to say because there's so much conflicting information out there from people who were in WCW at the time as to how well anything was planned. No, that makes sense. I mean, especially at that point too, I, I figured they might had booked it that far in advance, but it, it's probably more organic and they kind of figured it out as they went along. Like with the Goldberg thing, it's not like they figured in, you know, what was it? September of 97 that he was going to beat Hogan for the championship in Georgia in the Georgia dome in the following summer. So that makes sense. But yeah, go ahead, Randy. I'm sorry. I, interrupt, I uh, interrupted you before. No, a few things. I think one, um, just to kind of tie things together, you know, Sting, the last time he wrestled was Fall Brawl. And that was the beginning of the story where, you know, you, you know, you guys don't trust me. You think they got this fake Sting out here. That's not really me. So, you're looking at September of 96. I think Sting appeared on Nitro in the ring like maybe once or twice. And then he starts to, I think because your question with the Crow character. So the Crow character starts maybe a little after that. So, you know, before 96 ends, he's wearing black with the white paint. He's in the rafters or he's just chilling. So that's the development of that character. And I think the reason why and I could be wrong. The reason why Piper comes in because they knew that this thing storyline was going to take a year. So we're not going to have him on TV wrestle nothing. So we need someone to come in to kind of fill that void. And Piper was the main guy at the time as a free agent. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Piper Piper's last thing in, in uh, was WrestleMania 12, if, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe a month after that. So, also, anybody who you had in line for Hogan was part of the fucking NWO. Macho, or Giant, um, maybe Luger could have been out there to go up against Hogan, but that don't come till uh, that don't come till August of '97. Flair, I don't know about Flair at, at that time, what storyline he was a part of, but again, maybe just maybe just for, for that attraction, Piper was the best guy and. You know, and and to my to my point with Chris, to, or to a question with Chris, he mentions how you know he wanted to put Piper over, but Bitchell was like, "All right, cool, but I don't I don't want to put the belt on him." My question for Chris is the fact that what does that say about Hogan when they want to bring in Piper, they want to bring in Warrior, 
and he's cool with it. And they come in and they beat Hulk Hogan. So you know, good Hogan. Hogan has a you know has that uh that swag, the attitude, that ego. Like no matter what happens, I'm still number one. No one's coming in to beat me. But Piper comes in, he beats him. Warrior comes in, he beats him. What does that What does that make of Hulk Hogan? Because there's many stories about him, about he don't want to put people over, and it's all, it's all about him, which could be true. But at that time, Chris, what do you make of Piper coming in and Warrior coming in and getting the victories over, over Hulk Hogan? Um, I mean, I think that's all just... I mean, I know Hogan has supposedly had a bunch of creative control, but... I don't think Hogan's as selfish as a lot of people think he is. I think mm-hmm. a lot of it comes down to what will create a big moment versus what's best for the company in the long run. And for them, they thought having the belt on Hogan is what's best, but we're going to get some big press out of these former rivals coming in and beating him with Piper. I also think his deal with WCW was probably short term. So putting the belt on him wouldn't have really benefited the company as much as it would have Piper. Plus Piper is always been known as one of those guys who's like, he's the best wrestler that never won a world title in a major company. And it it, like, it almost adds to his mystique that he never wanted. So that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I agree where, you know, th- th- there's many people like Piper, like Piper, Jake, Mr. Perfect, Razor. I put Bulldog on there too. Bulldog, Owen Hart are the guys who you know you know what they're going to give you in the ring. And they could be a tag champion. They could be an IC champion, US champion. But you don't need them to be the world champion. And, and this is a different comment for a different day. But like, could Piper have been a world champion? Yeah. Could Jake maybe? Yeah. Owen Hart? It's a perfect, yeah. But Piper never fit that that bill. He was just a brawler and go in, do my thing, get out, kick your ass, and you know, create that story, um, that psychology in the ring where I don't need the belt. So again, going back twenty, what, twenty four years at the time, did Piper need to need to have the belt? No. But it was it was always a question mark for me of like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in a main event with Hulk Hogan. Why is the belt not on the line? That's the one thing. Again, if I go back and watch Nitro, I can probably be educated. Oh, that's why. But in that spot, you you know, like a major what if? What if the what if the bell was was on the line? You know? Yeah, I mean, WCW is a series of what ifs at this point, unfortunately. <laughs> but I mean, I get what you're saying. It's it's a little it's a weird booking decision, but at the same time, like you know what was it WrestleMania two or whatever? Like they didn't have the title on the line there either. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not a, it's not a fully unique thing to this event to have the world champion in a match where the world title's not on the line. In fact, it used to happen more frequently than it does now, but you know, it is what it is at the end of the day. This is one of those matches. That's it's not as memorable as their WWE encounters, but I think it's still, stands out because it was it was Piper putting Hogan to sleep. I think that's the image that stands out most from this because I can't think of a single other match where Hogan lost to a submission or a sleeper hold like that. Well, I was going to say, too, was this the first and only time that Piper has ever beaten Hogan one-on-one? Because I thought he hadn't beaten him prior to this point, maybe even afterward either. 
Well, it was definitely the only time you ever beat him, like, kind of clean. Sure. De- definitely, definitely. But I don't know I if he ever they, beat him at all, though. Did he? Before this? They, I don't know. I mean, they, they've had more matches than just the WrestleMania stuff, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could have... I mean, when during that period in the early 80s when they were feuding initially, Hogan wasn't losing really at all, especially while he was world champion. It's not like he lost a non-title match to, to Piper at any point. Um, like they don't book like they do now. So I, I'm, I just don't, I don't remember any other instance, whether it be on like a pay-per-view or, I mean, it wasn't even on raw cause this is well before raw that he ever got one over Hogan. So that, that was probably a part of the reason too, why it was such a big moment at Starcade when it happened. Mm. Yeah. So like, a little sidebar, you know, you know, that's how me and Graham do. We go sidebar here and there. Um, so what I noticed going back into this into this time frame, I don't recall when was the first time he did it, but I always found it cool that you know we I see Michael Buffer doing the intros for the main events of of, of a major show, and um, it just added a different flair, a different quality it, it made it feel like a big boxing match a big major main event happening uh what do you make of you know seeing michael buffer doing these intros for the world title and these matches and um how that kind of added a different element to wcw at that time well i mean his his voice is iconic he did stuff for wwe back in the day ufc he's he's he was everywhere boxing so it definitely gave it that that big fight feel. But what's funny is I actually forgot about this part of Hogan's gimmick where occasionally he would have these long-winded introductions, which is what they're doing with Kenny Omega right now. Like I, I totally <laughs> forgot about that and, and did not realize that Omega stole that from Hogan. Really? Yeah, I mean, like you go back and listen to it and he's listing off like, 10 sentences worth of accolades <laughs> for Hogan before finally saying his name. That's exactly what they're doing with Kenny every week right now. I completely forgot about that. And <laughs> when I watched this match back, I was just like, Jesus Christ, this is the Kenny Omega entrance. He totally cribbed that from Hogan. Wow. Well, don't, don't, don't tell Kenny that Graham. Okay. <laughs> Dude, I, never, I never thought I would hear a conversation where, Kenny Omega took inspiration from Hulk Hogan for something, but hey, here we are in 2020 and it happened. So yeah, I, think, I mean, for all yeah. we know, that was Buffer's idea. Like, I have yeah. no clue what the background to that is, but it doesn't seem like it happened for anybody else but Hogan. At least in the couple of instances that it did happen. Mm. I mean, it, I've seen I've seen some heels do it in recent years, but I think the first to do it might have been Hogan because I don't remember an instance prior to that where someone had done it. So. Um, no, but it's a yeah. great gimmick, though, especially for a heel. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because, you know, Chris, you know, Graham has been interviewing a lot of people. He's, he's getting famous now. So I, I, I know at some point in time he's going to interview oh, Kenny God. Omega and be like, hey, did you rip off Hulk Hogan's intro for it, like a buffer? Randy, to be specific, Doc is the one who talks to all the AEW people. I'm not talking to Kenny Omega. If anyone's going to talk to Kenny Omega, <laughs> Doc, Chris is going to be the one to talk. To, oh, he talked boy. to um, He talked to Cody Rhodes already. He talked to the, he, his first interview was with John Moxley, Randy. He talked to John for like 50 minutes a couple weeks ago. Wow. I'm, I'm talking to two big timers now. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So it's all my all my AEW, fuck. you know, whatever is going to go to, is going to go to Chris now. So Chris, when you talk to Kenny Omega. Next time or first time, I want you to ask him, hey, listen, did you, is there a whole Kogan kind of influence 
in your uh, entrance going back to him as Hollywood and Michael Buffer and stuff like that? That'd be a, that'd be a great question. I'm definitely going to keep it in the back of my mind now. Kenny's one of the guys that I still have on the list to to talk to that I haven't yet. It, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. You're not going to have every every top name that they got. He's already got Darby Allen under his belt, Scorpio Sky. I'm waiting for that Kenny Omega one. He talked to Tony, Tony Khan too, God, Randy. But, but Graham, you had Triple H. You've had... Okay. But I didn't talk to Vince McMahon. That's next. That's next. Yeah, we'll see about that one. I'll, that, that, that'll be the day. I'm not talking to Vince. Listen, man, you get him, Stephanie, or, 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 or Shane... You good money, man. You good money. <laughs> Shane, Shane actually seems like he can have a conversation with him. I'm not sure about Vince. Vince, the only the only way anyone's talking to Vince is through an investor call, and that shit does not interest me at all. So, or, especially now what? that they're talking about the, the ratings are in the toilet right now. Or like, <laughs> go back and watch Vince's interview with Stone Cold on the WWE Network. Vince no. does not look comfortable giving interviews out of character. Definitely, yeah. true. It's, it, it's so it's so camera. weird. Like he is one of the most he is one of those people that the words larger than life applies to more than anybody when it comes to pro wrestling. Like his character is as out there as it gets. And then you see him on the stone cold podcast and he's very calm and reserved and very soft spoken. And it's like, Jesus Christ, man. It's like, you've never been in front of a camera before, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, tell a joke, do something. Well, I'm pretty sure he'll feel, uh, he'll be a different way when this, um, Aren't they doing like a, like a documentary on him? Yeah. yeah. See how that one act. We'll see how accurate that I one is. I have a feeling that's going to be like 95% file footage from yeah. <laughs> backstage stuff and interviews from other people about McMahon. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. It's just going to be a bunch of bullshit. It's going to have the <laughs> yeah, it's going to have the WWE shine on it is what I like to say when when WWE releases a documentary about themselves, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be omissions. There's going to be maybe not flat out lies, but there, there'll be ways for them to stretch the truth a little bit about why certain things happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, watch the Monday Night Wars uh, show they did a couple of years ago. That's a prime example of that. They just write their own narrative. And again, not everything they say is false, but they kind of paint themselves as the victim um, throughout a lot of it. So that, that's a good example of it, I would say. Yeah. Right. So, Grant, I'm not sure if you know or Chris recall. So, you know, during you know my, my preparation, I want to see what the timeline was going from, you know, as we head into Starcade 97, um, following 96, um, Hogan does beat Piper at Super Brawl 7 in February. So that, that whole ordeal is done. And I came across and I remember like, oh, shit. Like, so Hogan's been a champion for almost a year now. And I know he dropped the belt to Sting, but I know he had to drop it prior. So Chris and also Graham, Hogan drops the belt to Lex Luger on Monday Nitro in August. So mm-hmm. at, at that time, Hogan was a champion for a year. And yes. he drops the belt. Luger wins. And then a week later, or that 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 Sunday. <laughs> he got the belt back. Hogan <laughs> gets the belt back. I saw that. Um, so it's interesting you say that. I just want to interject real quickly because I know nothing about this time period. I did not watch this time period. I have not gone back and really studied it at all. Like I read the death of WCW book that Brian Alvarez put out a long time ago. Um, I actually, I want, actually, I just bought it, my recent copy. I want to read it again. But I knew nothing about that period. So actually after watching the 
Goldberg untold doc, I kind of got interested in again in that whole period in WCW. And I was like, oh, I wonder how long he was champion for Hogan. That is before he dropped it to Goldberg. And I had no idea Hogan was champion for a literal year. At that point, I had no idea from uh, 96 to 97, which I think is amazing because if you look at the title history before they close in 01, people were holding the belt for like a month, like for to hold the belt at that point for a year. I, I know obviously Hogan held the belt for like three years in WWE in the eighties, but in the nineties, I can't think of many people who were holding championships for that long. I know diesel did for a year. That was in 95 when the business sucked, at least for WWE. Um, that was kind of just a different time, but I, I thought that was really impressive. And it obviously meant, and, and if you go back and watch the video, I saw the video of Luger taking the belt from Hogan. It was like this huge moment. And you would think that he was like the next big baby face. And then they took the belt right off of him. So the Luger thing is a whole other story on its own. So real quick before, before Chris goes, so, um, so I'm looking at right now that when – so you mentioned Goldberg. So Hogan had the belt for three months, then drops it to Goldberg on that Nitro. So Hogan had the belt for a year, drop it to Luger. He'll win it back, and I think he had it for, I think, uh, four or five months to Sting. The belt gets vacated, which I will, will, you know, we'll get to in a minute, and then he'll get it back in April of 98, and he'll drop it in July of 98. So, yeah, most would most would forget about the Luger one week run because you know there is this thing and there's this Goldberg and it's Kevin Nash and it's like you know the, the the vacated belt but most would forget about the Luger winning the belt and I'm like all right okay he wins the belt but why have him wear it for a weekend again Chris not sure if you recall you recall at that time or just going back in hindsight like all right if Hogan's gonna drop the belt you know, was Luger the right guy? And, and and if so, why have Luger drop the belt like five days later? I could not tell you the logic behind that decision. It may have been a case of buyer's remorse. It may have been a case of that was always the plan. I have no clue. I just know that at the time, Luger was a pretty red-hot babyface in terms of the feud against the NWO. He was one of the ones leading the charge, but why his reign only lasted five days i i have no idea and that that is that his only reign as well as champion um like i know he was u.s champion and i think he might have been tag champion too no i heard this earlier um he was no he, he was the two time champ okay yeah he won it back at the great american bash in 1991 that's right. I always forget about his early WCW stuff. Luger and, bounced around more than people realize. Yeah, between WWE and WCW, yeah. And he and he never won the belt back, so he was just a two-time. And you would think someone like Luger, who's been in that company for so long, you know, at least a three-time, four-time, at least five-time champion, he never just twice that's crazy only twice damn he was he must have been young too because i'm looking at his wiki right now i didn't know he was only 62 i thought he was older than that mm -hmm. so he was in like his late 20s early 30s by that point which is crazy because he looks like he's 40 in the back at that point so <laughs> that's wild to me i mean it puts the fact yeah. that he was with um he got big real young actually yeah, yeah he must have that's nuts yeah um 
they're doing a doc with him. I know this is unrelated, but they're doing a doc on him on the WWE Network as part of that WWE icon thing yes. in a couple of weeks or at the end of the run. I think it's the Yokozuna one is the first one after the Rumble, but they're doing one on Luger too at some point. Yeah, uh, which is interesting. It's weird that he's like for everything that the guy has accomplished, he's not in the WWE Hall of Fame, which I don't know why, which I, I find a little weird. You will blame the Lex uh, Express. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's his issues outside of the ring. I. I don't know. He hasn't appeared for the company in a minute, so maybe yeah, that's there's, there's some possible resentment there on some sides. I don't know how much anybody cares anymore, but there's still a lot of unknown, at least on the fans' side, about like Miss Elizabeth's death because she died. Yeah. In the mm-hmm. And like, I know it's a drug overdose and all that, but I think there may be something to do with that as to why some of this stuff hasn't happened, but I could be totally wrong on that. No, no, no. I think you're right. Cause that's one of the first things that I think of. And I know they touched upon that real briefly in the, um, dark side of the ring on Miss Elizabeth and Savage from, I think the first season of the show. So mm-hmm. that might be it because that was an Oh three. He, he must've appeared for like TNA after that, but he definitely has not been back in WWE, which, I find weird, but uh, yeah, I know it's crazy. Was, didn't he appear in like one random backstage segment at a WrestleMania once with a couple other legends? If you're, th- are you thinking of um, the Daniel Bryan Intercontinental Title thing, or is they, they've done that a couple times actually? So that's probably not what it is. Uh-huh. Uh, no, it was know. like it's back around because he he worked with the company on their wellness policy a little bit. Yeah, that's what it says here on the Wikipedia page. It doesn't say anything about him making an appearance, though. No, but I thought I remembered him being on screen and not recognizing him until somebody mentioned his name because he had lost so much muscle that he just didn't look like the same person. Yeah, he's in a wheelchair now. I saw him at a uh, an autograph signing about a year ago, I think, and he was getting wheeled out of the that of the hotel thing in New York that I was at. It was it's sad, but yeah, he's he was in the he was in a wheelchair when they interviewed him for the documentary on the network. They showed a picture yeah. of it, so it's crazy. I know we weren't making this a Lex Luger episode, Randy, but I just wanted to comment on that because I thought it was interesting. <laughs> no, you're good, man. Uh, so Chris, put put the match to the side for now. In that, in 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 real time or in hindsight, what do you make of the build to Starcade '97 between Hogan and Sting? What'd you make of the build? I mean, I was I was fully invested at the time. I loved all the stuff they were doing with Sting, even though he wasn't really wrestling. Like, you know, he'd come down and dare somebody to hit him with the bat just to see if they were loyal or not. Like, it was it was very unique, and it still is something that I don't think has been replicated to this day. Like, it was. And they've been very open about the fact that, like, they're like, oh, yeah, we just took the crow and did that in wrestling. Like, Sting was basically, like, killed off the old surfer Sting, and now he's back as the spirit of vengeance. And, yeah, so I I dug it, and I knew going into the event, I'm like, Sting's got to win the title. There's no way they're building all of this to just have him lose. And, yeah, he might have been stripped of the title, but he ended up winning it back anyway. Okay, sidebar number two. Are you a fan of Surfer Sting or Crow Sting? I mean, I like them both. I was at probably the perfect age when he switched over to the Crow Sting for that to appeal to me. So 
Surfer Sting was one of the people who got me into pro wrestling, but Crow Sting probably kept me into pro wrestling at the time. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, try picking between the two, I don't really see a point because it's the same guy. It's just two different versions of his character. It's like, it's like asking, do you like rocker Shawn Michaels or heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels. It's like, it's the same guy, you know, it's just <laughs> it's two different, two different portions of his career. I mean, we could look at, you know, red and yellow Hulk Hogan as a totally different person than Hollywood Hulk Hogan, just by all their mannerisms and, and personality and all that. So it, it, I, I don't see a, a comparison there, but I will say that the, the crow sting like that whole thing is probably just as responsible for WCW's popularity at the time as the whole NWO angle. No, I agree. Um, you know, when you tell a guy we're going to put you off screen and, and not wrestle for, I would say year, year and change, because Fallboro 96, Starcade 97, so you talk about a year and four months of not even competing. And you're, you're, you're just going to be in the rafters with your crow all the way up top. But then they elevated that character to, like, all right, if you're going to be up there, at some point you got to come down. And the whole coming down into the ring, I think to me, the one that stands out the most, and you might agree, is uncensored ninety seven, so that's uh, Hogan was there, Rodman was there, Hall and Nash, Macho, and the main event is over, and everybody thinks that the show was done. Sting comes down. I'm not sure if that was the first time that happened. I could be wrong, but when that happened, it was just like he had the bat. Everybody was trying to get him. He death drop Macho. I think I, I think he got to Hogan as well. Robin, which Robin, which we're trying to help out, but to me, that uncensored '97 coming down from the rafters is probably my favorite, you know, display of him doing that. Yeah, it's it's definitely an iconic moment. The whole entrance with him just completed the character. Um, I know he did a little work with in Japan during that time, but I don't know how much overlap there was with his WCW up in the rafters thing. But yeah, he did a little because they had a New Japan working relationship, which is why in the nineties, in the mid nineties, there's a bunch of cards where there's like a lot of Japanese superstars in WCW. So they had a whole like talent exchange thing going on, and I think Sting was over there for a month or two. And then he came over here and started doing all this. But yeah, that uh, that first time that he lowered down from the rafters is is such a memorable moment because, again, it was something we hadn't seen before. So, Graham, if you want to chime in after this, let me know. Um, Chris, mm-hmm. um, again, I want to put the main event to the side for now, but do you think in your opinion that... Was that WCW's biggest main event up to that point with the way they promoted it, the two icons, where they were at in their career? 
I know we, we there was Flair back in the day. There's Vader. There's Sting. A whole bunch of guys back there uh, that that competed at Starcade or or in the company in general. But do you feel like this Sting Hogan main event was being built as the biggest main event they've they've ever had in the in the company? Oh yeah, they definitely wanted it to feel that way, and in a lot of ways it was. I mean. 97 was kind of the height of all this stuff so they were really riding a wave of popularity and both sting and hogan had big followings a lot of fans didn't want to choose between them because they liked both so yeah this this was a big match for the company and it's not a very long match like when i went back and watched it, i was kind of surprised that it was over in like just a little over 10 minutes but um it had a quick pace, so that may be why it felt like it was a little quicker than it was. But yeah, like you expect these big monumental matches nowadays to be a half hour plus. Nope, back then, 12 minutes. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> you know, Sting wasn't going to not compete for a year and a half and do do a fucking Iron Man match. <laughs> right. He could have, though. Like, he was still in great shape. Like, I think some people who weren't around back then forget that like sting used to be a body guy. Like he was, he had the big muscles and the six pack and all that stuff. So he could have probably done, he see, I think it's Hogan who probably couldn't have gone the distance at the time. I think this is when Hogan, like probably first started having back problems was around this time. G you can kind of tell by the way he's moving a little bit. Like, if you look at the Piper match versus this match, there's a little less pep in his step in this match. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Why don't you guys think that after he had won this match thing, and obviously the match itself and the execution of it is a whole other conversation, but why wasn't this what kind of started something new for the company as opposed to going back to Hogan as the champion and going back to like the flares and the NWO? Why, why wasn't this like what kind of started that next generation for WCW with Sting as champion? Good question. Chris? I mean, it's, it, it's one of those things where when you run the biggest angle in the history of the company for well over a year with the NWO – and then Sting having his own thing and then merging the two, it's it's where do you go from there? How do you top it? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people have that fear with Marvel right now. How do you top Endgame? You know? Good point. How do you, how do you top killing half of the universe and then bringing half of the universe back to life? Like, it's the, the stakes were literally half of all reality, half of the people in existence. So with WCW, it's kind of the same thing. It's you get Hogan in there, you get Sting in there, you have this big match, you have the title change hands. What do you do then? Like, I almost feel bad for Bischoff at, at that point because it's like you've executed what's essentially the best idea you could possibly have. It's only downhill from there. No, that's a good point. I mean, I just look at it as... They should have crowned Sting as the champion and then give him this decent run as the champion from that point forward. But was it one of those cases where, not buyer's remorse type thing, but did they realize, oh shit, Sting is just much better in chase mode than he is as the champion? Was that ever the case with any of his prior reigns? Or Because again, I don't know too much about Sting as the world champion at that point. Well, his 
his first reign. Let me see here. I got the page up. So his first reign was ninety two. Mm-hmm. That was that was one hundred and thirty four days. So mm, pretty not decent. bad. Not bad. Uh, ninety three. He held the title for six days. He <laughs> like he won it from Vader and then lost it to Vader. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that feud actually. Those two beat the crap out of each other. It was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the weird thing is that he only held the title for he held the title for eleven days. Then they vacated it on Thunder of all shows. <laughs> and then he held the title for 56 days after winning it at Super Brawl. So again, another kind of short reign. Yeah. He held the title for literally less than a night. Oh my God. When, when, what year is this? Uh, it looks like in 99. Yeah. Okay. That's when it really gets messy. And I, yeah. I, yeah. I think to answer Graham's question about like, all right, so where do you go from here? Like, I, I think the problem that they had was the fact that, you know, when you saw McMahon and what they were doing, they were building new stars. So they, you know, you get the Rocks and Hunters and Stone Colds, but you would get your Kurt Angles, you would get your Canes, you would get Mankind, you get other people in, 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 in the the main event scene. So when, all right, so Sting beats Hogan, great. All right, where you go from here? Uh, you keep Hogan in the mix, you keep Nash in the mix, you keep flair in the mix because at that time they weren't doing a good job in building these other guys who would who would eventually be world champions in a different company jericho Rey mysterio eddie guerrero they they just weren't they were good they just weren't you know booker t as well they weren't they weren't um getting that spot so in that in that time frame graham and watching in real time it was all about hogan it was all about sting and all about yeah, Flair and those guys, they just didn't want to, you know, at the time, the top guys didn't want to step aside a little bit to say, you know what, let's build, let's build Jericho up. Let's build Eddie Guerrero. Let's build Rey Mysterio. The only guy that cracked that armor was Goldberg. And yeah. then when he got on board, it was like, all right, we're just sh- shooting Goldberg straight to the moon. But again, who did Goldberg face? I know we'll, we'll I'll go back in time now, but like, it was Hogan. It was Nash. It was Scott Hall. It was you know a DDP at the time. It was Flair. So it was like, all right, am I gonna keep watching this this company that's gonna highlight the same seven, eight, nine guys and don't want to highlight other people? So that that's where they got themselves tangled in, you know, with the war and the ratings. And it felt like, all right, if if, if I'm in a ratings war, I gotta have Hogan every every Monday night. I gotta have Hall and Nash appear on TV every week. Cause over there, they got Stone Cold, The Rock, they got Kane, they got Triple H, Undertaker, Mankind. They got a whole they got a whole roster. So I gotta compete yeah. somehow with 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 what I got. But the fact that they just kept promoting the older guys with all due respect, but never developed the young guys as they should. No, that makes sense. And again, like you said, they had their moments with Goldberg and they would build up the Booker T's and the DDP's. But I think by that point it was too late. So I think they should have started to build up those stars when they had when they had their most eyes on them, the most eyes on the product in 96, in 97, in 98. And again, they were trying. But the fact that Savage was still going at it at that point. Listen, I love Savage, but like the guy, I think Vince was right when he was kind of you know vince i mean he, he had the opportunity to put savage 
in the main event level, wrestling for the world championship, put the belt back on Savage in the early 90s. But he didn't. He kind of phased him down so he could focus on the Shawn Michaels and the Bret Hart's and, you know, Yokozuna and Mm -hmm. Diesel and whatever. You know, so I think Vince, for as much shit as we give him for various things and rightfully so, I think he had a better idea of what was going to carry them into the future, whereas WCW is kind of living off the past for a very just for a big game, but very short term game at that. So so Chris, you mentioned Thunder, right? That uh the, yeah. bell, the bell was vacated, but it was the it was the debut episode of Thunder. That's why they did it. Yeah, and I know they wanted a big moment, so they used the whole screw job thing with like, oh Bret Hart was only sanctioned to referee the one match with Zabisco and Bischoff. So his his interference there shouldn't have counted or whatever their logic was. I don't remember the exact reasoning, but yeah, back then they made a lot of knee-jerk decisions. Like what will get us the most attention this week wasn't always necessarily the right decision. And I think WCW got too much into that attitude of what can we do right now that'll get people talking and not what will keep people talking. And that's why they ended up losing in the end. And that's the one question I I, I got you here for, because when you mentioned, when anybody mentioned star K 97, you, you could have had a whole plethora of great matches prior, but the one thing to go to is the main event and the finish. So I need to know your input your point of view as you saw it in real time and as you go back in hindsight about because we get a, uh, a, a story from Sting, we get a story from Bischoff, we get a story from Hogan and anybody else. Like, And I saw it today again. The way that finish was laid out and I, I still, I just don't know if Sting heard the first two claps on the, on the mat. It was supposed to go like that Brett was supposed to get involved. I have no idea, but you do a year-long build to this main event. And again, another Hogan match that just doesn't end clean as it should. And it's a referee debacle. It's a a restart. Sting gets all this fucking energy afterwards. Now he wants to do Stinger splashes and put the Scorpion Deathlock. And yeah, he wins the belt. But nobody forgets that that restart and I'm trying to ask you what did you make of that finish why is it the most controversial finish out there aside from the Montreal screw job that we still don't know the correct answer of why it had to end like that I honestly don't know it it, it could have been something they did on the fly and it might have been all planned out it's it's really hard to say all I know is at the time everything was going so crazy and chaotic that just the fact that it ended with the decision I wanted, I was happy looking back on it now, obviously I'm a little more aware of like what good booking should look like. So it feels like this was a convoluted finish, whether or not it was planned ahead of time. I I just, I have no clue. I know there's a lot of conflicting stories out there about it, but it seems like that's the case with everything involving WCW. Yeah, because you mentioned how you 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 kind of felt sorry for Bischoff, how you he did everything he possibly could to deliver this main event, and when you had the main event put on and this happens, I highly doubt that was part of the script. 
because you there's no way you have Sting be out for a year and a half, come back and do a, a, a screw job just to get Bret Hart involved. Um, somebody missed a cue to me. Somebody missed a cue. Somebody fucked up. Could have been Hogan. Could have been Sting. Could have been the referee. I have no idea. But it's still, when you mention the company in general, oh, that time when Sting and Hogan Starcade, you know, they, 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 they botched the main event. And that's not something you want on the resume for any of those guys. So Starcade gets the bad rap because of how it ended. Yeah, you could do a vacated and Sting wins the belt at Super Brawl. But it, it, it just wasn't. It didn't have the same effect as it should have been when, when if Sting would have won the belt or uh, the belt fair, fair and cleanly at Starcade. Yeah, it's it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I mean, it's still a cool moment, but analyzing it, that I mean, if you listen to the announcers, you can tell they're like a little confused. <laughs> Especially, I think it's Shivani who's screaming left and right, but. Again, WCW was known for doing a bunch of crazy stuff back then, so some of it may have been planned, some of it may have been on the fly. All I know is that I don't hear this match ever brought up in, like, what are Hulk Hogan's 10 best matches? Nobody ever mentions this one. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> I think whether it's thing one clean or not, uh, it, it, was, it was an okay match, but could have been a lot better. It would just... It, it, it was what it was, and we didn't need a 15, 20, 25-minute match with those with those guys that got it done in 10, 12 minutes, but again, everybody mentions uh, the finish, and yeah, congrats this thing to winning the belt two months prior, uh, later, and I, I forgot who he lost to because eventually, I guess Hogan, because Hogan would, would drop the belt to Goldberg in, in, in that summer, but... Um, Starcade is definitely one of those uh, '97. Definitely one of those years that you go back and say, "Man, what the fuck, man!" It, it could, and that was like, like we all mentioned. It was the beginning of the eventual end for the company. Like, are we are we focusing on the right things? Are we making sure we're we're keeping things intact? You know, look mm-hmm. at how we're doing. Because you go back to Chris, you go back to Halloween Havoc. I think me and Graham spoke about it last week. That I told him off the air of how everything was just spiraling. Like they, they 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 just didn't care about it as much. Where you have Goldberg in the main event against DDP live on pay per view, and if you bought if you bought the show on pay per view, and it's eleven o'clock, your feed of Halloween Havoc goes off the air. Mind you, they're still going at it in Vegas in the uh, MGM Grand. It's, they're still performing, but at home, it's like what the fuck, and then it. Then you find out they did not contact the the, the pay per view provider to go on longer. So now they got to give all that money back to the fans, air the main event live on night show the following night, and it just like stuff like that. It would just again, could everything have started at Starcade? Maybe, but it just it, it just led to the eventual downfall of the company when they were they were at an all time high. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, and that's the problem is there's so much conflicting information out there about who is responsible for what and people passing blame off to each other that I don't know if we'll ever know the true story of like everything behind the scenes back then just because some people will always want to protect themselves by not taking the blame. And before I go to G, does that make 
to, to kind of wrap up Star K97 before we uh, go to 98 real quick. Does that make um, th- does that make Hogan look bad? Does that make Bischoff look bad? Does that make Sting look bad? Do, do they all get equal amount of the of the, of the share for for that night? I mean, just because I don't really know who is responsible for what, yeah, they all get equal blame. But at the same time, I don't think any of them deserve to be vilified over one thing. I mean, when you're talking about live pay-per-view and like half scripted stuff, it's, you know, mistakes are going to happen and things need to change on the fly. And I mean, they probably did if there was a mistake then I think they did probably the only thing they could have done to follow up with it. Like sending out Brett wasn't a bad move because Brett was the big star coming into WCW at the time. He had already been an official that night. So it's not like it's not like it didn't make wrestling sense for him to still have officiating power, you know, like a little, little storytelling details like that in the grand scheme of things aren't really all that important, but um, yeah, it's just such a weird, it's such a weird match in the history of WCW because it was such a big thing. And then it just kind of was like, oh, okay, it's over. All right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and he, he, even with that, Chris, you bring in Bret Hart after the, the screw job, the, the hottest free agent on the planet. And you bring him on board to be a referee. Like, that's like saying, all right, if Kenny Omega, your boy Kenny Omega is a free agent and he comes to Raw, he comes in and he just, oh, I'm going to be a referee in this match. You'd be like, what the fuck? You got Kenny Omega, the best person out there to wrestle, and you bring him on board to be a ref? Like, that's the best you can do? And Brett Brett wasn't hurt. It's not like he was hurt. And then you waited two months to even produce Brett on on air as a referee. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think that might have been just a case of bad timing where they were like, well, we want to get Brett on TV and in front of people so they know he's here, but we don't have a solid plan for him right now because we have all these other things in motion. And I think Brett, like, even though his ego got a little out of hand with the whole, like I should be champion when I leave WWE thing. He also still understood the business. So I think if Bischoff gave him a good argument, it's like, listen, you're going to come in as a special guest ref first, and then we're going to build you up this way. I think Brett probably would have been like, all right, fine. You know, whatever you're paying me millions of dollars, whatever you say. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so real quick, you know, I, I, uh, we mentioned Starcade '98. I know Graham, Graham, and I did like a whole hour or so on this last last week. But um, yeah. again, you're back at Starcade, third year in a row, big time main event for the title. Now you got an undefeated streak with Goldberg against Kevin Nash. Because who else is out there, Chris? Goldberg beat Hogan. He beat Sting. He beat Macho. He beat DDP. He beat everybody. And it's like, all right, you get Kevin Nash in the spot, and I want to ask you again, in real time and in hindsight, when you go back and see Goldberg take an L for the first time, 173 and 0, whether if that's the real number or not, that's that's what they said. And the first guy to give him an L is Kevin Nash. Um, Graham, 
mentioned a point like, all right, if Goldberg is going to lose, which is fine, but why not have him lose to like an up and coming guy who's going to be the, the next guy after Goldberg? Same with Taker. When Taker lost at WrestleMania, he lost to Brock Lesnar, someone who's already made and Hall of Famer status already. Why not have him lose to an, to an up and coming superstar? When you look at Goldberg and Kevin Nash, do you feel like Goldberg should have lost the belt to someone else aside from Nash? Or did the company put themselves in a spot where we ain't got nobody else? You beat every, you beat everybody else, and all we got left is Kevin Nash. Yeah, I don't know. There was a short period of time where Nash had booking power in WCW, and I think that might have been during this run. It was, but then he, he denies that in the documentary. He goes, oh, Goldberg. Of course he would. <laughs> but I actually wasn't. It's like, dude, we fucking know you. We fucking knew you were. We knew you were booking. Just stop. I, I don't know if they said that just for the documentary or if he genuinely believes that. It's like, but bro, we know you ended the streak on purpose. Because who? I mean, I was going to say who else in the right mind would think that way. But then again, Vince Russo was the booker at that point, too. So I can't say that. But yeah, no, we know he was booking at that point. There's no there's no denying that. So, Graham, you mean to tell me that Kevin Nash will go on a documentary on camera Yes. And, and lie that he was not the booker for Star K98. You think Kevin Nash, of all people, would sit there and lie to you? Uh, I do. The same <laughs> way that someone would go on the internet and lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I again, I, I who I don't know who he could have lost to to be like, oh wow, man, that that that, that was a fucking great loss, but. You know, and again, Goldberg takes the L, Chris, and he just kind of felt like everybody else after that. He wasn't, he wasn't like this superhero character after that. He felt regular. He felt again. That's not on Goldberg. That was the company. So when after that, and you lead into the finger poker doom the week after that, mixed arcade ninety eight looks even more terrible. Yeah, well, the finger poke of doom is like, it's a whole separate thing on its own, but yeah, the the finish to this match pissed me off back then, and it pisses me off now, like, <laughs> just the whole thing with like, okay, I, I get, okay, Goldberg is almost unstoppable, have Hall hit him with a stun gun, like, I almost kind of get that. Because at the time, WCW was just insane, so whatever. But <laughs> it, w- it was one of those things where it's like, part of me wants to say, like, oh, it was such a stupid decision for them to do it. But then the other part of me says, like, if a young up-and-coming guy had beaten Goldberg, I almost think that would have tarnished his credibility even more. So... Look at Brock Lesnar, for instance. So, like, the thing with him beating The Undertaker, it's like, yeah, Undertaker would have put somebody over more had it been, like, just throwing a name out there, let's say Big E. Let's say Big E was the guy who broke The Undertaker's streak. Mm -hmm. Do you think that would actually have done anything to help Big E in the long run? Like, do you think right now Big E would be the biggest star in the world? I don't think so. I think Lesnar winning and beating The Undertaker was the right call because he's the guy who now 
like we already knew he was almost unstoppable, but now he's also the guy that beat the undertaker. So if Lesnar puts somebody over, then it means even more later. So like when Reigns beat him, it mean even more than if Lesnar had just been some other guy. So like, I get the inclination, like if you're going to take down a giant, like Goldberg, who's got this big undefeated streak, it should be somebody who already has, world championship credibility otherwise it makes goldberg look like a little bit of a chump like imagine if Rey mysterio had beaten goldberg for the first time oh no that would have been dumb too oh yeah it would have been a cool underdog story for Rey mysterio but yeah it would have been dumb or if billy kidman like and i know i'm using small superstars but like nash wasn't necessarily the wrong choice they just booked it so horribly yeah that it, it comes off as just one of the worst decisions they made. But I don't necessarily hate the idea of Nash being the one to break the streak. Cause it's like Nash is a seven foot former world champion. He beats the crap out of people on a daily basis. Like why wouldn't he be able to beat Goldberg? Like if anyone's going to be Goldberg, it's the guy who outmatches him in size and strength. And, and that's why I asked you, does the finger poker doom a week prior diminish the ending of Star K ninety eight, where it's like, all right, it, it, let's say finger poke does not happen, and Nash has a six month reign as or a year reign as champion. Wow, he beat Goldberg. He's the top guy. He's a champ for six months to a year. Great, but you beat Goldberg. You drop the belt to Hogan of all people the week prior in some bullshit segment. The same day. Mankind beats The Rock for the title on Raw. And that's that's who you were competing with. And you do that. So does Finger Poker Doom diminish the ending of Starcade 98? I mean, yeah, but it diminishes the whole business. Well, true, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Finger Poke of Doom, like... That's one of those ideas that I genuinely think probably sounded good on paper at the time. Mm-hmm. They're like... What's the ultimate heel move? Well, the ultimate heel move is Hogan winning the belt from his buddy who was good enough to beat Goldberg, but not, but he wasn't good enough to beat Goldberg. And then his buddy just gives him the belt because they're buddies. Like that's, that's such a chicken shit heel thing that I think had they done that kind of angle in like the seventies with flair, it probably would have gone over huge. But because WCW's booking was already so questionable at the time, that was just, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. People were like, all right, it's official. This place sucks. Mm-hmm. Was that, was the finger poke of doom what aired opposite? It did, right? That aired opposite of the mankind went on raw. Yeah. So let me get this straight for a second. Was that January 4th, 1999? Yep. I think so. Somewhere right. around there. So maybe I'm off here. I just, this dawned upon me the other day. So you know how we're getting that Legends episode of Raw in a couple weeks? Mm-hmm. They advertised all those Legends for it and whatever. Hogan yeah. is among them. That's airing on January 4th, 2021. An episode of Raw, Monday night, January 4th, 2021. 1999, 22 years ago at that point from that date, was when the finger poke of doom happened on January 4th, 1999. 
11 years after that. So 11 years ago and 11 years after that, again, this is so fucking random, but yeah, 11 years after that was when impact went to Monday nights, January 4th, 2010 Hulk Hogan arrived on impact that night. That's right. So literally 11 years apart from, from he was in WCW finger poke of doom, January 4th, 99, January 4th, 2010. He was in TNA arriving there. And now he's going to be back on Raw on January 4th, 2021. Literally, 11 years apart for every single moment in three different companies. So that means in 20, whatever 11 years from 2021 is, which would be 2032, uh, he's going to be in, <laughs> in, on dynamite if it airs on Mondays. So just be, that. that'll be wheeling him out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going to be what? 80 at that point. I don't even know how old he is now. I think 60, I think he's 70 at this point. I think I don't remember. Hulk Hogan. Loves, Hulk Hogan loves January 4th for some reason. He does. It's, it's a Hulk Hogan holiday. So like, Hey brother, if you're going to book me, book me for January 4th. <laughs> hey, there's something to it. 11 years apart every single time. I don't know why, but you know, there you go. Uh, just to wrap it up, I, Chris, I, I, I don't, I, I told Graham last week after, after star K 98, I don't know. I don't know who made events at star K after that. I know they they had it three more times, but after that I was I was kind of like done. I mean I would check in here and there in, in real time, but I can't even tell you who made event to Star Kid ninety nine two thousand or one. I don't know. It was um. I think we went. We we talked about this last week, Randy. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't a Goldberg and Bret Hart in ninety nine. Right. It was. Yes. I because yeah. I remember that one. Was that a good match? Uh, I don't. Was know it just like decent? Bret Hart was good. <laughs> they said, the, there's they, that Goldberg slander. They, they said Bret won by submission. So I don't know if Goldberg tapped out or I have no idea. So that was before he ended his career, obviously. Correct. A yeah. while later. Correct. So it was yeah. in 2000. I don't know what happened in 2000. I don't know. It was probably Scott Steiner and Booker T or something. Well, it was a uh, Jeff Jarrett. It right? was like they almost recreated the Montreal screw job in 2000. Yeah, Piper ended the match early. Goldberg never actually submitted. What was the match in 2000? Um, Scott Steiner defeated Sid Vicious by submission for the world title. Oh, my. Oh, so, Chris, you're talking about the ending to 99 with Goldberg. Was a Montreal screw job finish? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, so then 2000 was Sid Vicious and Scott Steiner. Is that what you said, Randy? Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh my God, that sounds awful! No wonder they closed down three months later. Oh, two thousand. Yeah. I'm looking at the card for two thousand right now. This is insane. So, the ladder match that started this show is actually really good. It was three count versus the Young Dragons versus Evan Courageous and Jamie Noble. Okay, that's actually a really fun ladder match, and I'd recommend you guys watch it. Like mm-hmm. they were doing three count if you go back and look at three count it's like they were the young bucks before the young bucks were a thing <laughs> they were like, lots of gregory helms yeah pretty honestly helms or whatever yeah um but then you have lance storm versus ernest miller oh my god terry funk versus crowbar i don't even know who crowbar is me either uh yeah so anyway you think i know crow i think he was in ring of honor recently i think i don't know Big Vito and Reno versus Chronic, which was Brian Adams and Brian Clark in a tag team. That's oh right. God. That's right. Uh, now, 
Mike Awesome versus Bam Bam Bigelow, that's probably worth watching. <laughs> because those two guys would just beat the crap out of each other. Mm-hmm. But General Rection versus Shane Douglas. <laughs> was that the with hair- Huey Morris in it or no? Was, yeah, that was him. That was him. That was him. Hugh Morris was a WWE thing. No, he was he was Hugh Morris in uh, WCW. Yeah. Oh no, you're right. I'm thinking of something else. Yeah. Um, then you have the Harris brothers and Jeff Jarrett versus the filthy animals, which was Kidman, Conan and Mysterio. Okay. That was when Mysterio uh, was on masked, I think. Right. And then you have the insiders, which is DDP and Nash versus Chuck Palumbo and Sean Stasiak. Oh my God. Anything with Sean Stasiak. No, thanks. A no-holds-barred match between Goldberg and Luger that only lasted seven minutes. And then Steiner <laughs> said, like, this card just looks ridiculous. Yeah, that's <laughs> when you know they were on the chopping block. And, yeah. and it was it was the final Starcade until they, they brought it back in 2017, which I don't count. Um, so this was the final Starcade. I thought they had it on one, but the timeline they ended in March of '01, so Starcade would have been December. So no, Starcade 2000 was the final Starcade. And look at that yeah. card for the final Starcade. Oh, pss. yeah, it's yeah. Well, that's bad. So Chris, before yeah, I let you go, well, I mean, if you want to see bad, go look at the card for WCW's final pay per view. You won't even. The, uh, Oh, it was, was it uncensored or something. Sin was a sin. No, could it be sin? I think it was uh, sin. No, I think it was greed. Oh, greed. Yeah, greed. I want in greed. Hold up. Is that January of that year or is that March? Well, uh, at- that happened on March. March. Okay, so right before they closed. Interesting. So, like, I don't even recognize a lot of these guys. Jason Jet versus Kwee the fuck wee wee have no idea who he is uh maybe it's the app quibi and they just uh you know pronounced it wrong or something apparently he worked for tna for a while as some everyone worked for tna um elix skipper and kid romeo versus elix skipper was in tna he was actually really good yeah uh Stasiak versus Stasiak beat Bam Bam. Jesus Christ. Jesus. Uh, Now, Team Canada, Lance Storm and Mike Awesome, that was a good tag team. They just had a Mm -hmm. shitty (laughs) company. Um, They beat Hugh Morris and Conan. What a weird random team that is. (laughs) Uh, Shane Helms versus Chavo. That was probably a decent match, actually. Uh, Yeah. Palumbo and Sean O'Hare versus Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger. Mm-hmm. Ernest Miller versus Canyon. Oh, Booker Lord. T versus Steiner. Rick Steiner. Scott's, Rick Steiner. Sorry, Rick Steiner. Uh, Dustin and Dusty versus Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett. And then Scott Steiner versus DDP for the world title in the main event. It's like WCW that just going from like a mid-range NWA affiliate to being the biggest promotion in the world down to what they became like you couldn't write a story like that <laughs> yeah but Graham you it's know you know what's interesting sick. fellas you know what? you know what 
you know the names that Chris did not mention. Mm-hmm. There's no Hogan. There's no Hall. No Nash. No Sting here and there. There's no Jericho. There's no Goldberg. There's no Eddie Guerrero. There's no Rey Mysterio. There's no Perry Saturn. Benoit. Cause they all well, left. Mysterio was on the show. He was in that match with Skipper and Romeo. Well, 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 we can skip that match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but saying. everyone else, didn't Hogan leave in like mid-2000? He wasn't there for the end, I don't think, was he? No, no I think after that, that bash at the beach with Jarrett, I think, I think he broke out. Yeah, didn't he? Well, he was obviously still under contract because then that's when WWE just paid yeah. him until his WCW. Turner paid him until their WCW contracts expired or whatever. But yeah. Well, that was what was weird was some of those guys had contracts with Turner and some of them had contracts with WCW. Mm-hmm. So when WWE bought WCW, they didn't get every contract. Yeah. I think right. Sting was one of the ones too. Like he, he was de- dealing directly with Turner, mm-hmm. which was probably smart on his part. <laughs> yeah. And Goldberg too, right? Goldberg, he didn't come into like Oh three. Yeah. He, it took him a few years. Probably the last one, actually. I also think I I heard somebody once say that Vince didn't want Goldberg as part of the initial flood of WCW stars. Like, he did want Goldberg to be his own special thing. So I think they might have purposely waited on him. Maybe, but I feel like if that was the case, then they would have brought him in 02, like when Scott Steiner came in. Because the invasion stuff was over by, you know, late 01. Like Randy said, he didn't come in until after Mania in 03. Which was perfect timing because it was like a fresh start, but you would think that they would have brought him in an O two if they wanted him like after the invasion shit. Maybe, but I mean I think they wanted some time between when all the WCW guys were still considered new and then Goldberg coming in. Like cause at the time Goldberg, even though his run ended poorly, was still like one of the biggest success stories from WCW. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's true. Especially since uh yeah, and O two they had that's when they brought the brand extension in, and they kind of had a flood of WCW people at that point. So yeah, maybe that that would make sense if true. So so Chris, I got two more before I let you go. Um, just to wrap up these three these three consecutive starcades, um, you know, just give someone like me who you know if I get time to catch up, but like what are aside from these three, what are some other starcades, you know, events in in totality or some matches. Uh, that I, that I should go check out from Starcade. Oh man, I mean, every year probably has at least one match that you should watch. Um, I actually like I like the early '90s period of WCW when it was a little bit smaller because mm-hmm. you had you had this weird mix of of longtime veterans like Ric Flair and Savage who were both there before the big NWO explosion and uh, big stars that WCW had built like Sting. And then you had all these guys from Japan coming in too, like Jushin Thunder Liger. So like, you know, I know speaking his name is tantamount to sin these days, but like Liger versus Benoit 95 was a solid match. Mm -hmm. Um, Shinjiro Otani versus Eddie Guerrero, same year, good match. So, I mean, I would say just like all the Starcades from 
before the NWO stuff are worth watching for one reason or another. Like they're all fun events that you, they have a completely different feel from all the other stuff that most people are used to. When we talk about WCW, because I think a lot of people, when they think WCW, they think that 96 to 2001 period, which was the rise and fall. But like I got into WCW in the early nineties when it was, still kind of like regional like wcw saturday night was the big show but it was only an hour long it was filmed in front of a very small audience on like the universal studios backlot i think and i mean if you look at it it's almost funny because it reminds me of like the nxt arena a little bit like a very small amount of fans, specialized stage setup and all that. But um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of great superstars that were just getting their start in that period, like DDP and uh, Mark Merrow when he was Johnny B. Bad. Like I loved Johnny B. Bad in WCW. That guy was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say, I would say just any of those, any of those mid card matches from the early nineties that like, even if you don't recognize the name, like WCW had a lot of great workers back then who just, who just knew how to go out there and, and burn up the mat for seven, eight minutes and put on a good match. Even if it wasn't that long. I'm trying to see real quick. Um, at least from a main event standpoint of the Starcades. So 95, we had Flair and Savage. No, Flair versus Savage for the world title. Flair was the champion. Um, Ninety four, Hogan was the champion. Ninety four is worth watching just for Alex Wright versus Triple H before he was Triple H. Okay, Hogan against the Butcher for the world title. The Butcher is Brutus uh, Beefcake. Um, Ninety three, the, the the tenth anniversary Vader against Ric Flair in a title uh, versus career match for the world title. Okay. Um, Starcade ninety one and ninety two had the battle battle bowls. Starcade ninety, Sting against the Black Scorpion for the NWA World Title. Um. Oh yeah, Ric Flair. They, they call Ric Flair the Black Scorpion. Holy shit. Am I right? Uh, I th- yeah, that was a weird gimmick thing. It was like, <laughs> I'm like a what very the fuck short thing. Grand, did you know that? Did you know Ric Flair was the Black Scorpion? That's news to me. Never oh. heard that before. Holy shit. I think that might have been some stipulation where like Ric Flair can't challenge for the title. Oh, who's this new Black Scorpion character? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, like a Dusty Rhodes type um, thing. There's actually... I'm just looking at 93 now and I, I'm remembering the match as I'm looking at the, the card lineup, Steve Austin versus Dustin Rhodes in a two out of three falls match for the U S title is awesome. Hmm. Wow. It's 23 minutes and it's those two guys. Like they were probably at their physical peak at that time in terms of, uh, agility and, just the amount of energy they could put into a match. Like when Steve Austin came to WWE, a lot of people don't realize like he had to, he slowed his style down a little bit. Like he was a worker in WCW. Like he was quick and he was a technician. 
mm-hmm. he became mm-hmm. a brawler later because he had to because he wasn't able to do the snap suplexes as much anymore right so yeah that steve austin versus dustin Rhodes match was really good and actually so was regal versus steamboat mm-hmm. oh yeah that sounds great mm-hmm. i mean really anything with ricky steamboat is worth watching um Real quick, I got uh, Starcade 89, Ric Flair and Sting. Starcade 88, Ric Flair and Lex Luger for the NWA World Title. Starcade 90, uh, 97, Starcade 87, Ronnie Garvin, Ric Flair. Steel Cage match for the NWA uh, World Title. Nine, uh, 86, Ric Flair, Nikita Koloff, NWA World Title. 85. Ric Flair and, and Dusty Rhodes for the NWA World Title, and '84 Ric Flair Dusty NWA World Title, and '83 Harley Race Ric Flair in a steel cage match for the NWA World Title. So, yeah, yeah pe- people talk about oh they've been shoving Roman Reigns and John Cena down our throat, dude. They were shoving Ric Flair down people's throats for a freaking decade before, <laughs> and like. Anyone who complains about Roman Reigns being a big star for five years needs to be quiet because Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair were both dominating their respective companies for way longer. Like Exactly. Today's fan would not have been able to handle the run of Hulk Hogan. They would, after a few years, they would have been like, when is somebody else going to get a shot? When is it going to be Greg the Hammer Valentine's turn with the title? Like, That's what people would have been screaming back then. Just imagine. I, I told Graham real quick. I told Graham a long time ago that the fans today don't have the patience for a long title run. They don't have the patience for someone to be on top for six months to a year or two years, like a John Cena, like a like 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 a, like a Reigns, or just to build for a, a, a six month program. You start at SummerSlam and we're going to WrestleMania. They don't want to see that. They want to see. The next, the next night on Raw or the next month on, on, on a show. It's just different times, social media. Everybody wants to know right now all the scoops and the rumors. Um, if they can have that old school mentality of letting something draw out and play out and uh, don't give me... Don't give me Nakamura, AJ on on a fucking SmackDown. No, give me that at WrestleMania. All right, then we all can be in, in, in a happy place. But back then... You had no choice. There wasn't there wasn't a major pay per view every month in that in, in in those days. So you really had to really wait. You had no choice. Now everything is just like I want. I want everything right now. Yeah, that's kind of why I wish. Like I don't think both titles need to be defended on every single pay per view. Like the Universal and the WWE title, I would be fine if they only doubled them up and the big four and then the other eight pay-per-views, they trade it off. And you know what? Well, yeah. kind of what I, well, I mean, that's I kind of what, like what they even had the brand exclusive stuff. I like that personally. Yeah. I think it would strengthen their reign if they were able to have a longer build to some of these matches that they're doing. Yeah. But again, people don't necessarily have the patience or, some or you know it's like half the crowd does and half the crowd doesn't so you end up just getting everybody fighting about everything and you know what i i i could be in the minority but i'm still not a fan of having like the universal title 
like go on last or go on after the the major title. You talk about the WWE Championship going on prior to Universal is like, bro, what the fuck are we doing? Like that belt's been around for so long. Universal got a, got on board what five years ago. It's not a bigger title. I don't care if Roman has it, Kevin Owens, Goldberg, Brock. It don't matter. You know, and, and again, I know we talk about current stuff, but you know to see the WWE champion defend the title first or in the middle of the card or not be the main event. It's like I'm still I, that's the one old school thing I have in me. It's like if that's been the main title since 1960, 70, whatever, that should that that should go on last. Or that should be that match should happen after the universal title, not the other way around. So that's just <clears throat> how I feel. I agree. Um I get why they're doing it this way though, because they want to build the universal title up that way. And you know, that takes time, but I, I am of the same viewpoint where like the WWE title should be the top dog title and it should be the main event title. There shouldn't be two top titles. Frankly, there should be one. I like the brand split stuff is so weird because I've always thought one world title is fine. Do two mid card titles, two tags, two women. If you want, I don't care. Just one top title is all we need. You're right, and I can't disagree. I, I can't agree more. Can't agree more. But our fan base wants two world champions, Chris. They want the brand split. They want this. They want just like all right. It, the brand split's fine with me because at least that ensures you don't have one person hogging up the main event spotlight on both shows. But. Mm. But man, having two titles, it's like nobody is going to look at them as equal ever. There's always going to be a bigger star holding one of them. My last question to you, Chris. Um, let me see. Matter of fact, two more. I'm sorry. Two more. What was your favorite overall WCW pay-per-view to watch? Not like a certain year, but just in general. Oh, I love... Starcade, I love Halloween Havoc. What was your favorite show to watch? I did really like Halloween Havoc, but there was something about like when I was a kid, the war games concept just seemed really cool to me. Mm-hmm. It's so stupid looking back on it now. The three rings set up and everything, but like I just the 60 man Royal rumble thing. Like I, I really liked that as a kid. So world war three probably is, is the event that I would choose surprisingly, even though like I probably couldn't tell you who won every world war three thing. <laughs> I, I still just, I enjoy Like I love the Royal rumble. I like battle Royals when they're done. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, World War Three was just one of those events. Like, and they didn't even do it every year. It was only done like four years. And, and I want to say, I know Randy Savage won the first one, but I don't know who won any of the other ones. And the last question, and you can go either way with it. You can actually tell me a, a, a particular show in a year, or you could tell me, in general, if I ask you, Chris, I'm trying to find out World War Three for you real quick. 
as I'm doing this of who won it after Macho Man. Um, the inaugural winner was, uh, you said Macho Man, right? You can, okay, Macho Man won the first one. 96. The Giant. 97. Scott Scott Hall, okay. Um, I forgot about that. 98. Who we got 98? DD, oh uh, no. Kevin Nash won 98. And that was it. Um, yeah. So if I ask you, Chris, your Mount Rushmore of WCW pay per views, you can either tell me. Just the name. Oh, I'm taking Star K, World War Three. Those that that's my Mount Rushmore. Or you can go the route of an actual year of the show. So if you tell me Star K '93, I'm taking Super Brawl Nine, whatever. Do you have a Mount Rushmore of WCW pay-per-views? I I I really don't, and that's only because at the time I wasn't watching. WCW pay-per-views religiously like I was WWE stuff. Like I would usually go get the WCW ones on VHS afterwards. I didn't pay as much attention until later on when I started like really getting into it and reading the magazines and all that. But I was always more geared towards WWE than WCW. So, um, like Halloween Havoc, World War Three, uh, uh, was War Games its own event, or was that just a match on a different show? That was a uh, full brawl. Okay, so yeah, I know I liked the Four Horsemen stuff in War Games, so you know, fall brawl, and then I think NWO was sold out. Was their like branded NWO pay per view, right? Right. Yeah, I enjoyed the first one of those for sure. I don't remember any of the other ones. Graham, you. What about you? You you have a potential Mount Rushmore of WCW shows at all? You talking about like pay per views? Yeah. Specifically. Well, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. um, probably. Um, I mean, obviously, Starcade, Halloween Havoc would be in the top two. Mm-hmm. Those would be obvious ones. Spring Stampede and. I like Great American Bash, but that's largely because they carried it over to WWE. Bash of the Beach would probably be number four. Mm. Um, Bash of the Beach, Spring Stampede, Starcade, and Halloween Havoc would probably be mine if I had to. Uh, if I had to pick off the top of my head, I'll go with Halloween Havoc, Fall Brawl, War Games, um, Bash. Oh, yeah, Fall Brawl. Yeah, I forgot about Fall Brawl. Yeah, Yo, mate. You got to pick four, Grant. Which one? What you got? <sighs> no, I'll keep Fall Brawl off. I'll, oh, keep, I'll stay with my four. Damn. Uh, fall Brawl, Bash of the Beach, Halloween Havoc, of course. You know, I love Halloween Havoc. Um, <laughs> and, see, Spring Stampede was tough, too, man. Like I, I know Starcade is the main shit. I get it, but... Springsteen, uh, you know, uncensored was 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 pretty good. Um, I ain't fucking. I, 
I go Starcade, man. I, I think I, I look stupid not having Starcade in the Mount Rushmore. It, it, you can't it, have, the, yeah, you cannot have Starcade on there. I Even though the main I events as we discussed terrible towards the end, I cannot have either Starcade or Great American Bash both off. I think I think one got to go on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Got to keep Stark. Starcade's a given, I think. It's <laughs> like having a Mount Rushmore without WrestleMania on it. I know, you know, WrestleMania's been around longer, but I mean, that was the equivalent. So, um, Graham, any last questions for for Chris on Starcade ninety six seven or eight or anything beyond that? I don't think so. I'll actually here's one. Can you think, Chris, of a worse stretch of WrestleMania main events than what we got at Starcade ninety six and ninety seven and ninety eight, or was that it? Oh, like three years in a row? Hmm. Oh, jeez. Um, that comes to mind because I know we had our occasional terrible main events from year to year. But like, if there, is there are there three that stand out as being the absolute worst? Three in a row or three in general? No, no, three in a row because this one, these those three were in a row. Oh man, no, not three in a row. Three in like, a row. You know, I'm thinking like 9, 10, 11, but 10 was great with, you know, Yokozuna and Bret Hart's not an instant classic, but it's not anything as bad as the uh, Stargate stuff, so. You could have had it with WrestleMania 8, 9, then 10 came in, and then 11, so. No, well, the 8 was good. 8 wasn't that bad. I mean, actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, I was thinking of, I'm sorry, I was thinking of Hogan and Slaughter, not Sid and Hogan. Oh, 7. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, 7. Um... Yeah, I don't know, really. I'm thinking well, of even seven, even in recent years, you know. Seven was not terrible. That was Slaughter versus Hogan. Yeah. Slaughter can work. I mean, that was good. But it, it's hard to say because it depends on what you consider bad. Like, I actually enjoyed Bam Bam Bigelow versus Lawrence Taylor, and I'll defend that match. Oh my god! Wow! 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 Yeah, Randy. Randy comes on here and poops on that WrestleMania all the time. It's the worst it's one. The- <laughs> WrestleMania had a lot of issues, <laughs> but how many celebrities slash athletes, other than maybe recently Pat McAfee? Can you point to and and say they put as much work in as Lawrence Taylor did? They put him in the Hall of Fame. That's what I say. He might not have been polished, but Bam Bam made him look good. Like that that match had me hooked. Like I I liked it, Mm -hmm. and I know it was a big dumb gimmick celebrity match, but like LT didn't look like he went in there just to collect a paycheck. Like he looked like he went in there having prepared to have a match with some other wrestlers. Mm -hmm. So like I respect his performance in that and the whole Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund thing. Like (laughs) they they've had good matches and this was not one of them. So I know why 11 sticks out to a lot of people because of that match in particular. Well, I think the biggest issue with WrestleMania 11 is that it was in Graham's hometown of Hartford, Connecticut. <laughs> I'm not defending it for that reason. <laughs> I think that WrestleMania sucks. I mean, that WrestleMania not only took place in my home state, it also took place the same year that I was born in 95. So Ooh. I should be partial to it, but I'm absolutely not because I can even realize, even I will say that the show sucks. I don't know <laughs> if it's the worst, but it's up. it's in the top three. 
Um, Chris, let people know where they can follow you or read your work or for, for, for Bleacher Report. Uh, I mean, yeah, pretty much just download the app for Bleacher Report and follow me and Graham on there. We both got stuff all the time. And, I'll, you know, I'm not as active as some people on Twitter, but I'm on there occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Be sure to stay tuned for his eventual, his inevitable Kenny Omega interview where he asks about his Hulk Hogan inspiration. Oh, that's got to happen. That's got to happen. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to remember to bring that up. If I if I post anything on Twitter saying I'm about to interview Kenny, remind me. Oh, and, and yo, Grant, for the fact that Kenny's the champion now, oh, yeah, got to happen. Yeah, soon. what's going to happen? Chris, I'm just waiting for that. You're, you're bound to get that opportunity like in the next month or so. I think it's inevitable. Yeah. It'll happen eventually. I'm on... I'm sort of taking it easy for the rest of the year on the interviews. And then in January, I'll probably hit him up for one for him and one for Sting probably. Yeah, that's understandable. Doc's been killing it over here. We got people got to check out his interviews and all of his other work. That's nice. my official endorsement. Um, yeah, Scorpio Sky told me he wanted to beat the crap out of Jake Paul. So that was fun. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. I don't even tell me about that. Also, last point, Hulk Hogan's Voodoo Child theme song. Tough. I... I tough i liked it better than the main one it just it was different and i know that was the if you watch star k 97 now on the network they're gonna put the, the original theme song obviously there's copyright whatever but you watch it live and you know in real time the voodoo child jimmy hendrix came on and that was just that was just fucking different man that was that was tough mm-hmm. yeah but um chris mueller at BR underscore doctor on Twitter for Bleacher Report. Graham Matthews at Wrestle Rant. Also for Bleacher Report, you catch him on fan side at Data DDT as well. Grandma man, thank you. I appreciate it. Happy holidays to you. Chris, thank you, man. And happy holidays to you and, and the family as well. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. All right, thanks, man. Guys. Take it Take easy. Take care. Enjoy the holidays. All right, you too.